All right. The Doing Better Podcast, episode 27. Here's the tease. Andy Stanley, I think, rightly understands we're not going to get people to embrace relationship with Jesus by by getting them to understand the Old Testament when you can't understand the Old Testament without Jesus. Congratulations. Through the powerful providence of a benevolent benefactor, you've stumbled onto this delicious digital bouillabaisse. Hosted by yours truly, hipster grandfather, David A. Holland. Here, we explore the too-good-to-be-true, poorly understood, badly neglected realities of what Jesus actually launched 2,000 years ago. A new covenant. A better covenant based on better promises. So, check your religion at the door. Grab a beverage. Grab a Bible. Strap in. Gird your loins. This is the new and better podcast. Welcome, everyone. Good to see you. Welcome to all those who listen by uh, the miracle of the Internet. Good people of the Internet, we greet you. Uh, we're in the series now uh, about, uh, about Paul's revelation of Jesus Christ, that Paul uniquely, powerfully uh, had a direct revelation uh, about who, who Jesus was. He had a direct encounter with him. And one of the ways that we've focused on and identified just how significant Paul's contribution to our understanding of who Jesus was and what he did and what he is in us uh, is, is by doing a little thought experiment. And that thought experiment is, imagine we didn't have Paul's, we didn't have Paul's letters uh, or the book that is clearly influenced by him, the book of Hebrews. If you surgically removed all of Paul's letters in the book of Hebrews out of the Bible, our understanding of the new covenant and the mediator of the new covenant, Jesus Christ, would go from here to here instantly. Uh, there, are, there are some hints in, in what Jesus said about what he was about to do. But what we saw in the previous series is that Jesus spent most of his time when he was talking, speaking to that generation of Jewish people about what they needed to do in their hearts to get ready for the new when it came. Uh, he's not explaining the new. He's getting them ready for the new. And uh, what we'll saw when we did a brief examination of the book of Acts is that um, the, the disciples, Jesus' 11, took them, it took them a while. The light dawned on them over an extended period of time, but their primary mission was to the Jewish people of that generation. So the, the, the message and the understanding, the, the gospel, that the 11 needed to preach was a gospel that was basically about showing Jewish people that Jesus is who the law and the prophets had pointed to. He was the, he was the anticipated Messiah. He had come. His kingdom was established, but it wasn't established in a way that anybody had anticipated. It was different than anybody had anticipated. And so their gospel was a very Jewish-centric gospel that they were called to preach by, by function because that's who they were primarily preaching to. Jewish people, uh, both the uh, very observant Jewish people, the kind of the secularized Hellenistic Jews, and the God-fearing Gentiles who tended to congregate around synagogues. That's who their gospel was for. Uh, we, when we saw that Paul, Paul describing his mission, that he was primarily designed to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And 
as such, his gospel, although everywhere he went, he, he honored the to the Jew first and also to the Gentile uh, uh, mandate uh, that he articulated. But uh, he needed to frame a gospel, the gospel in such a way that it would be understood by the Gentiles. Because if you walk into a, a, a pagan bunch of Celts in southern France, uh, and start telling them, now the law and the prophets, and they'd be going, uh, wait, for who's the, who are the law and what are the prophets? Well, you know, Moses, well, who, what's a Moses? That, 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 that delivery of the gospel would mean nothing uh, to them. Paul needed to, to basically unpack the gospel in such a way that the whole world could be saved because that's what Jesus came to die to do, to save the world. Where God so loved the world that he gave his only he gave his only son. It was, it was, it's absolutely most appropriate that the Jewish people come to Christ because they were the seed pod. They, they were, the, God called them together. First of all, he made a promise to Adam and Eve in the garden about Eve's seed, singular. Then he made a promise to Abraham uh, when he called him out and made covenant with him about his seed, singular, that one day his seed would become a blessing to the entire world. And, and then he, with Moses and, and the uh, calling out of the Israelite nations out of, out of Egypt, he formed them as a people covenantally with a vassal suzerain covenant. We've examined that so that they would become the seed pod through which the Messiah would ultimately come. And most of the rest of the drama of the Old Testament is about the battle between God and his forces and the enemy uh, and his forces to of whether or not that seed pod is going to get corrupted as it goes through the centuries until the fullness of time comes. We've all, we've all talked about that narrative um, many, many times. So our anchor key verse here for this entire series is from 1 Corinthians, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Galatians. Mark talked about Galatians some last week and how it was one of the, if not the, probably the earliest of Paul's uh, letters. But we see here in verse 15, um, this is from the Passion Translation, which I really, really like. Uh, verse um, 16, God's grace unveiled his son in me so that I would proclaim him. Oh, oh let me back up a little bit. Uh, let me back up to verse 11. This is our key verse, verse 11. Beloved ones, let me say emphatically that the gospel entrusted to me was not given to me by any man. No one taught me this revelation for it was given to me directly by the unveiling of Jesus, the anointed one. Uh, the unveiling of Jesus, the anointed one. And there's, a, there's a, somewhat of a reference here. Paul is later going to talk about some uh, in here in some of his other letters about a veil uh, and how um, uh, referencing back the veil that was over Moses' face back in the Old Testament. But uh, what we're also supposed to recall here is the veil over the holy of holies in the temple in Jerusalem, which was torn in half when Jesus died, cre cre symbolically showing that now upon Jesus's death and his sacrifice and uh, consecrating a new covenant, this new covenant was going to give us all access to the holy of holies. It's going to give us all access to God's presence, not just the high priest once a year. So there's a reference to this. Uh, and then Paul here just 
by way of review, go on to the verse 15 where I jumped a minute ago. But then God called me by his grace. We know that he had in this encounter, personal encounter, where Jesus literally knocked him off his horse. He was temporarily blinded. Jesus speaks to him directly and says, this is Jesus, the one you're persecuting that I'm talking to you here. Then in verse 16, God's grace unveiled his son in me so that I would proclaim him to the non-Jewish people of the world. In other words, he's saying, I'm, I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. After I had this encounter, getting knocked off my horse, I kept it secret for some time, sharing it with no one. And I chose not to run to Jerusalem to try to impress those who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went away into the Arabian desert for a season until I returned to Damascus, where I had first encountered Jesus. I remained there for three years until I eventually went up to Jerusalem and met the Apostle Peter and stayed with him for a couple of weeks <clears throat> so I could get to know him better. The only other apostle I met during that time was James, the Lord's brother. Now again, why is Paul telling us this? Why is Paul telling us that when he encountered Jesus and became aware that, Je that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was definitely very much alive as, as the apostles had been proclaiming, uh, why is he going out of his way to let us know that he didn't run down to Jerusalem immediately, that he went into the Arabian desert for a further, further encounter, uh, then spent three years back in, uh, back in Damascus. And uh, then eventually, when he did finally make his way down to Jerusalem, he said, I was only there for two weeks because I want to get to know Peter better. And I didn't see any of the other apostles while I was there. I did meet James. Why is he telling us this? What's his, what's his purpose? What's his point? He wanted us to know that it came directly from the Holy Spirit and not... Not any man. He's, he's reinforcing and elaborating on the fact that this revelation did not come from any man. I did not get this secondhand. What I got that I'm unpacking for you now in, in this book that I'm about to, a book of scolding you for, 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 for trying to integrate, reintegrate some of the law of the old covenant into this new covenant that Jesus created. This, this thing that I'm explaining to you didn't come secondhand. It came directly from Jesus. And so, and, and so he explains that. Um, verse 20, everything I'm describing to you, I confess before God, is the absolute truth. After my stay in Jerusalem, I went to Syria and Southeast Turkey, but remained unknown to the Jewish believers. The only thing they heard about me was this. Our former enemy who once brutally persecuted us is now preaching the good news of the faith he was once obsessed with destroying. Because of the transformation that took place in my life, they praised God even more. So that's, that's our key verse. And we, we looked a uh, week before last at the first mystery. Paul is unveiling a series of mysteries to us. And there's a number of them that he unveiled that we wouldn't understand or understand very fully or very completely if his letters didn't exist. And the first one that we saw last week was that the mystery is the mystery of the fact that Jesus was God in a man, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. We saw that we would know that even without Paul, we would have some, some understanding of that. We would have some understanding of it because of what Jesus said 
especially because of the book of John. The book of John is unlike the other three gospels in so many ways. But because of the book of John, we know John reports that Jesus said right before his death, uh, when some of the guys, Thomas and those guys were, he, he was saying something about, I'm, I'm gonna you know, wanna show you the Father. And uh, I think it was Thomas who said, yes, do. W when are you going to show us the Father? And Jesus said, really? Are, do you still not understand that I have been showing you the Father? I've been showing you the Father. And uh, we would also know from John, from the first, uh, the first chapter of John, John cryptically mentions in, in, the opening, in the opening lines of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so in the opening 15, 20 verses of John, he basically points out that Jesus was preexistent as the Word, the Logos, and that the Word, the Logos, became flesh and dwelt among us. So we, we would understand at some level that, that Jesus was preexistent, but that he was, he was a, the miracle of God in human flesh, that God had somehow found a, a way miraculously to become one of us. Uh, but we wouldn't know it nearly as, as well as, um, as we do because of Paul. And we looked at several scriptures that, uh, where Paul unpacks this last week. There, I, I'd call that mystery 1A. Tonight I want to just show us mis the, uh, another dimension or facet of that same mystery. I'm going to call this mystery 1, 1B. And that's, it was hinted at with what Jesus said that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father is that not only was Jesus God in human flesh, Jesus demonstrated or revealed the nature and character of God. Hey friend, I'm hitting the pause button here for just a moment so you can experience the wonder of a little thing we call page two. Hey, just real quickly here, I wanna make you aware of a few other places where you can find my content online. One is my YouTube channel, where you'll find not only the video version of the podcast, but uh, other short-form content as well. And if you prefer the written word, as I do, you'll want to check out my blog over at davidaholland.com. I've been writing there since 2007. That's right. You'll find 16-plus years worth of gold over there. That's davidaholland.com. Got to get that A in there. So go check it out. And while you're there, leave an email address so I can alert you when I have new stuff coming out or a special event you may want to know about. Now, back to your regularly scheduled program. This is part of the gospel that so many Jewish people had a, had a hard time accepting and had a hard time receiving. It's what, it's what in part made the gospel seem heretical to Jewish hearers in the first century is first of all, to the Jewish mind, God is one. There is only, you know, so, so God, is, God is a unity, not a triunity. So the, the idea that there was a Father in heaven and now an aspect of God, God, the Godhead, was now walking around in human flesh, was almost something that was impossible to conceive. You know, Jesus 
Jesus tried to uh, tried to help them with it, and then at the same time confound them. There was this point you, you'll recall where uh, they were scolding Jesus for suggesting that he was he was God or the Son of God, and Jesus points them to the scripture that we've seen many many times. If if we were going to look, if we were going to trace on the, all those arcs of scriptures that refer to other scriptures. One thing that's referred to more than any other that we've seen is that passage from Psalms where David says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit here at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Because in that, in the original Hebrew, it's the Yahweh says to my Adonai, sit here at my right hand until, and Adonai was what all the Jewish people called God because they didn't want to call him by his holy name. They weren't, they weren't, they, they weren't allowed to by, by Jewish tradition. To, to call God by his name. So they called him Adonai. And yet, here's this psalm where, where David says, my Yahweh says to my Adonai, sit here at my right hand. So Jesus, they, 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 they tried to trip Jesus up one day with a question, and he goes, okay, I'll answer your question, if you'll answer mine first. And, and he, he, he says, why, how could David say, the Lord says to my Lord, sit here at my right hand until I make your enemy a footstool for his feet. Answer me that question and then I'll come back and answer, answer yours. And then sparks started shooting out of their heads and, and their ears and they staggered, staggered away. Uh, because it was a non-compute, it, it made no sense. But one of the things that Paul's revealing to us here is that is the, is an expansion or an exposition, an unpacking of what Jesus said when he said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, turn in your Bibles over to Colossians chapter 1. Another one of Paul's letters, and particularly another one that's full of these mysteries, mystery unveilings of Jesus. Again, I love the Passion Translation here, but somebody give it to us out of the New American Standard first. Colossians 1.15. Or any, any other modern translation as well. New King, New King James. Yeah, well, all right, let's have it. Uh, 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Anybody have a, a different translation? That's exactly what NIV says. Okay. Mine says Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. That's a New, a new Living it's all, that's all accurate. Here's, here's the, uh, the, uh, the Passion Translation for that. He is the divine portrait, the true likeness of the invisible God, and the firstborn heir of creation. And then he follows that with some additional mysteries, but, but he, he leads right out there with, with verse 15 of one of the mind-blowing mysteries, which is that Jesus is a divine portrait. Somebody wanted, somebody, for, for, for centuries, people wonder what God's like. What's he like? What's his nature? What's his character? What kind of, what kind of being is he? What, what kind of person, using that term uh, loosely, is he? We now know. Mystery solved. We know what kind of, what God is like because we've seen a portrait of him. We've seen a three-dimensional living, breathing portrait of him in Jesus. John had something similar uh, in mind back if we pop back over to John chapter 1 where we uh, 
saw that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. It's interesting, the Passion Translation translates logos, which in most of our Bibles gets translated word. In the beginning was the logos. Passion Translation translates the living expression. The li uh, in the very beginning, the living expression was already there, and the living expression was with God, yet fully, fully God. But what I want you to see is uh, verse 3. And through his creative inspiration, this living expression made all things, and nothing has existence apart from him. That's not, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for verse 18. No one has ever gazed upon the fullness of God's splendor, except the uniquely beloved Son, who is cherished by the Father and held close to his heart. Now he has unfolded to us the full explanation of who God truly is. The full explanation of who God truly is. I think the New American Standard says, well, let me just grab it right quick. It's much more brief, but if you look at 18 in the New American Standard, it says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten of God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. He has explained Him. That's our Jesus. He is an explanation of God. I, I'm mindful of the fact that we're living in a day in which a lot of younger people are rejecting Jesus and re who, who is testified to by the Bible, particularly the New Testament. They're using the Old Testament as an excuse to reject the Jesus of the New Testament. I see it all the time. I, I hear it all the time. There, there are many, many millennials, there are many, many young people who are saying, I've, because there are skeptics out there pointing them to all these Old Testament passages, uh, the, the, the Old Testament passages that seem to, to that, are, that are violent and hard, and they're pointing to those, and so they say, if that's your God, I don't want to have anything to do with him. And do you ever hear that? You ever, you ever hear that you hear that argument and it, it is an excuse that many many people are using to reject the Jesus that the New Testament presents and there are people wrestling with trying to figure out how to reach these current generations like like right now Andy Stanley Charles Stanley's son has got a new book out that he's taking a ton of heat for that all the heresy hunters are out for, out for his skin out for, uh, out for his head lots of criticism from people. But basically what Andy Stanley's trying to do with his book and, and what he's saying is, he's saying to a generation of people, can you just not, th forget the Old Testament for a minute. Would you come please look at this Jesus that the New Testament unfolds? And if you will come and take a good look at this Jesus that the New Testament unfolds, and you will, you, if you come into relationship with him, this old, these Old Testament mysteries will get solved for you. These stumbling blocks will go away. So Andy Stanley, I think, rightly understands we're not going to get people to embrace relationship with Jesus by, by getting them to understand the Old Testament when you can't understand the Old Testament without Jesus. Yeah. Jesus is the explanation for the Old Testament. So m most of us, but why people want Andy Stanley's head on a platter is because he's basically saying to uh, a group of people, come to the New Testament, come to the New Covenant. 
and, and, it, and its truth and let it make you alive. And then, well, then the New Testament, the Old Testament won't be a problem for you any, anymore. Um, and so what, what, is, uh, what is John saying here? In John 1.18, he's saying nobody's seen the Father. Nobody's really had much understanding of him. You couldn't have understanding of him, really. The, 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 the old covenant gave you a very dim, through a glass, darkly view of, of, of who God was. But uh, it couldn't make people spiritually alive. Now that the new covenant has come, this seed has come, you can be made spiritually alive so that you can see clearly. And... Uh, he Jesus is the has explained God. So uh, let's now let's flip over to Hebrews for one more verse. It'll be a short teaching tonight. He, yes, thank you. Hebrews one three. Mark's always one step ahead of me. Hebrews one three. Let's just look at the whole context there. But um, I'm in the New American Standard here still. Let's start with verse 1. Let's get a running start. In the New American Standard, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is, now let's, here's, here's our verse, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. Who's he? He's God. Jesus is the ra radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Uh, let's take a look at that in the Passion Translation. The sun is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor, the exact expression of God's true nature, his mirror image. He holds the universe together and expands it by the mighty power of his spoken word. He accomplished for us the complete cleansing of sins and then took his seat on the highest throne at the right hand of the majestic one. Again, without Paul, I don't know that we would understand if we, we, we would have been able to discern as clearly as we need to just from what John cryptically says in the first uh, opening verses of, of John or the words that, of Jesus that John delivered to us uh, at the back end uh, of his book, like, like Paul explains it to us. Paul, Paul makes it clear, part of the revelation that, that that Paul got was we don't have to wonder about God's character and nature anymore. We've seen it in Jesus. Everywhere Jesus went, sick people got healed. Blind people got their sight. Deaf, ears, deaf people got their ears opened. Grieving widows got their dead back. Children got blessed. Uh, hungry people got fed. Everywhere he went, even when he desperately physically and emotionally needed privacy and rest and 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 some space he still when when that was denied him he still would would be moved with compassion he would be moved with compassion by the needs of the people he encountered 
What Jesus is demonstrating for us is not the good cop, bad cop. He's not the good cop part of a good cop, bad cop act between the Father and the Son. He is showing us. He is explaining God. He's explaining his character. He's explaining this Father who has adopted us. We don't have to wonder anymore about, about what he's like. I was considering jumping on in tonight into the second mystery. I mean, the next mystery, which is fully mystery number two. That was mystery 1A and mystery 1B. Uh, but I'm going to wait because uh, I want us to talk a little bit and then, and then, and then pray a little bit and have, uh, and have communion. I think this is, a, this is a good place to stop. But what, I, what I'm just struck, struck by as I study this out, this, these mysteries out that Paul revealed, is just what a wonderful, wonderful Savior we have. What a wonderful Father we have. They're just, they're just so good. And what we're going to see in the weeks to come is that what Jesus accomplished on the cross for us is more than we've known. It's more than we've been told. Part of it is that Part of it is that we've been, we've been given a view of understanding the Scripture that pushes a lot of things out to the fu- into the future that were never, be, never meant to be pushed into the future. By taking a futurist view, for example, of the book of Revelation, there's, there's this moment in the book of Revelation where all of heaven looks at Jesus and says, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. Uh, and as if that's some sort of future worship service. But it's not. It's a present worship service. It's giving, us, it's giving us an insight into what heaven outside of time and space, what's always going on there, and what can be and should be going on with us. An awestruck, grateful view of this wonderful Savior who was willing to did not consider his equality with God a thing to be clung to selfishly, but released it, emptying himself of it to become one of us. To, as the song says, to breathe our air, to walk our sod, to become one of us forever out of love. Well, I think I've given you all the good news you can handle for one session. The only thing left to do is page three. So, have you connected with me on social media yet? What, in the name of all that's good and wholesome, are you waiting for? You'll find links to all my brilliant social media manifestations on my About page at davidaholland.com. That's davidaholland.com. That's it for this session. Until next time, stay at rest and at peace. And please remember, God is better than you think and you're more loved than you know.